Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. are um, picking up where we left off yes, yesterday, last week, in the book of Ruth. So uh, if you um, want to flip to the book of Ruth, we'll be there in just a few minutes. I'm going to pick up at the tail end of Ruth chapter 1. Um, last week, we, um, we started a story, um, and I want to recap it for those of you that weren't here, a story that didn't end well at the end of the sermon, a story that kind of left you hanging in the midst of some emotional turmoil for this family. Last week, we saw the depths of sorrow for a woman named Naomi, who was married to a man named Elimelech, and they had two boys. If you remember correctly, the two boys' names were what? Do you remember? Sickly and Wasting Away, right, in the English. That was their translation. So, Malin and Shillian, Sickly and Wasting Away. We've got this family that, because of famine, has been forced to move from God's promised land in Bethlehem to Moab, which is a pagan nation. Now, while they're living in Moab, do you guys remember what happened? Well, what happened first? Yep, Elimelech died, right? So now we've got Naomi, a widow, with two boys of her own and no way to provide for them. But then they grow up, right, because boys tend to do that. And in Moab, they decided to marry some girls. They married some pagan Moabite girls who didn't worship their god. They worshiped other gods that were often worshiped through child sacrifice. Then what happened? They died. They bought the farm. So now we've got three widows living together in Moab, unable to provide for themselves. This is really a bad and dangerous situation for these women. So Naomi is left heartbroken with two mourning daughter-in-laws, okay? And unable to take any more of the sorrow of Moab, Naomi says, okay, I'm packing up, I'm leaving. Me and my daughters, we're on a journey. Um, I'm going to walk back to Bethlehem. My daughters are coming with me for a period of time. And I'm going to send them back because there's nothing for them in Bethlehem. So when we left off last week, we left off with the three of them on the side of the road, partway between Moab and Bethlehem, literally clinging to one another and weeping because of the way life had gone for them. Life had been so terrible, and we learned that sometimes lamenting is a form of worship. It is acceptable within Scripture and life in God to lament the way that life is, to lament of our sins, to lament of the things that have been dealt to us in the hands that we have, and then to face God and walk like Naomi was doing. She'd heard rumors about bread, that the famine was over, and she said, I'm going to turn my face towards Bethlehem, and I'm going to walk there. I don't know if it's going to be any better, but that's where God is, and that's where I want to be. And said, in all of her sorrow, that's what she did. Today, when we read the story, we're going to turn from lamenting to loving. So it's a, it's a huge shift in the story, and we're going to see where love takes this family. Um, it's... Uh, it's an interesting thing, love. Um, 
if we only ever feel love, but never act on love, then we miss out on something very significant. If love is only a feeling and never an action, then it's incomplete. Love is this. This is the definition that I use. A demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense, by the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the definition of love that I was taught growing up in the faith. That's the definition of love that I really believe to be all-encompassing. It's the one that I believe that Christ demonstrated with his life and his death and his resurrection. It's a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above yourself, even at great personal expense. But what if love was only just a feeling? Let's take my wife and I, for example. Okay? Right? What if I only ever felt love for Shelly? She's giving me the stink eye. This is good. What if I only ever felt love for Shelly? but I never told her that I loved her when we were first dating? What if I only fell in love for Shelly, but never took her out on a date? What if I only ever fell in love for Shelly, but never moved across the country to be at a college that she was at so that I could pursue dating her and marrying her? What if I only ever fell in love for Shelly, but I never asked her to marry me? Lame, right? Lame. Thank you, Shelly. <laughs> What if, within marriage, I only ever felt love for her, but never demonstrated a preference for her, above myself, serving her instead of myself? Now, that wouldn't make a very good marriage, would it? No, sad face. That's right. I'm getting all, you guys can't see all that's going on over here. This is good. Okay? If I only ever put my needs first, if I never expressed my love to Shelly through action, love would be incomplete. Sometimes acting in love is joyous and fun, like dating and proposing and getting married and living life together. Sometimes it's a lot of fun. But other times it's not easy to choose to act in love, to choose to do the loving thing, because sometimes love is a hard choice. Love is a demonstrated preference. It's a choice, not necessarily an emotion. And sometimes it's a choice that will take you somewhere on a journey someplace to a place you never thought you'd go, all for the benefit of someone else. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we dive in, I want you to watch a, I think it's a 13-second video clip. So get your ears ready for this, okay? Um, for someone like Naomi, who is in a hard place, and we're going to revisit this story at the end of our sermon today. Some of you have probably seen this, so just bear with me. But I think this is a good intersection of our scripture and real life. Sounds like Naomi's family last week. Um, they weren't addicted to drugs. They had their other problems. But they were just trying and struggling to get their life together in some way, shape, or form. And they were moved to tears. And that's kind of the picture that we left off with last week, where things are struggling. So this morning, we're going to look at where love takes them. Love took Elimelech to Moab, right? He loved his family. He loved his children. He loved them enough to pick up and leave the promised land and go somewhere completely unknown. Love took his family to Moab. Love took Naomi with him. She loved her husband. 
She followed him for the sake of their family. And now we're going to see where love takes root. So if you will, stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. And we're going to read all the way through the end of chapter 2. If your legs get tired, you may sit. If they don't, I would encourage you to stand for the respect of God's word. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or to return away from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will become my people. And your God will become my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. So don't call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity against me. Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. They returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let, let's, let me go out into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and she went and gleaned in a field after the reapers. And, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, she's the young Moabite woman who came, back from, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she's continued to work from early morning until now, except for just a very short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one. Keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. I have charged the young, women not, or the young men not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face and bowed to the ground and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you would take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and you came to a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings would you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread. Dip your morsel into the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and then she had leftovers. When she rose again to glean, 
Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also, as you're gleaning, pull out some bundles from her and leave it for her to glean and don't rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she gleaned and it was about uh, an FF of barley and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned and she also brought out and gave her the food she had left over from lunch. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she'd worked and she said, the man's name whom I worked with today was Boaz. And Naomi told her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi then said to Ruth, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you would be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she continued to live with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. <clears throat> so, the three women weeping on the side of the road, and Naomi had laid out this convincing argument as to why they should stay behind. And Orpah, hearing this convincing argument, kisses her mother-in-law and says, See ya. I'm going back where it's going to make more sense for me. I'm going to go back home and live with my parents. I'll find another husband. I'll have a better life. But Ruth, Scripture says, clung to Naomi. The word there is a very, it's not just like I'm giving you a hug, but it's like there's some sort of super glue binding, and there's just a clinging and a cleaving and a not separating kind of intertwining permanent kind of language here. And her statement to Naomi is probably one of the most powerful pledges of love put to action in all of Scripture. It's often used as wedding vows. And I think, if I remember correctly, we use this verbiage in our wedding vows. No, you don't remember. I think weddings are hard to remember, are they not? Um, I think these were, we used some of these Scriptures for our wedding vow. Um, and it says this, Don't make me leave you, is what she says. I want to go wherever you're going. I want to stay wherever you're staying. I want your family to become my family. I want your God to become my God. And where you die is where I'm going to die. And if I ever break this covenant that I'm making with you right now, God has permission to do whatever he wants with me. Because I'm really serious about following your God and about following you to the promised land. Ruth is making a determined choice, a choice in love, a conviction um, out of love, and she's saying, listen, I am going to abandon my homeland. I'm going to abandon everything I know. It's God's, my family, everything I grew up with. I'm going to forsake them and put something else in their place, something better, the hope that I've heard about. See, this statement is less about Naomi and more about Naomi's God. She has lived with this family for 10 years, give or take, and in that time, she has rubbed shoulders with dialogue about Yahweh in this family. Perhaps they, have, um, perhaps they have spoken of Yahweh. Perhaps she saw uh, in town how Elimelech treated Naomi before she married into the family. Perhaps there were rituals of faith that were kept in the house to worship Yahweh, and they were so dramatically different from child sacrifice practices. And she saw something about this God that was attractive. 
Perhaps it was when she got married to her husband and the covenantal languages and ceremonies that went into being married before God. Something about life with this family caused Ruth to see Yahweh and desire him. And this love for Yahweh caused her to make an intentional choice of love towards Naomi, which moved her from emotion to conviction and then from conviction to action. See, it's one thing to love someone in your heart. It's another thing to be convicted of something. But to make that whole and complete, you must move to action. Unable to sway Ruth from her determination to love God by serving and caring for Naomi, Naomi says, okay, you can come with me. I see I can't change your mind. Why don't we go to Bethlehem together? But now that they're in Bethlehem, they're facing some hunger because the famine, while it was over, um, it was at, you know not the best climate for them. The famine had ended. Harvests were just beginning. Um, they were still widowed women with no jobs, right? So now they're in a land where there's food, but they can't work because they're women. They're widows. They're outcasts. They have nothing still, even though they're in the land of God. But in the law, there was a provision for the poorest people of the land, the poorest people who had absolutely nothing. And the law said that if you have a field and we're harvesting it, you were to allow the poor people to come behind your harvesters and pick up anything that got dropped on the ground. And that was how the, the folks who were needy could pick up food and work. See, it wasn't a handout. They actually had to go through the fields and pick up the food and then separate it from the husks. They had to work for their food, but they wouldn't lack at that point. It was God's way of providing for the poor, the landless, the homeless, the crippled, through the kindness and the generosity and the love of those who didn't have lack. It was a good system. But while the law secured this right for the poor and encouraged the landowners to do this, there were some landowners who were evil and hard-hearted. Some landowners said, listen, hey, we're just coming off famine. My storehouses are a little bit empty. I'm not leaving anything behind. I'm taking everything into my own storehouse for my own family. And so they would instruct their gleaners to harvest everything, and they'd send people behind and pick up whatever fell. So the poor people couldn't glean anything. Not only that, leaving nothing, they would forbid people to enter their field. They would run them off. They would beat them. And as scripture tells us here, women were in danger of being assaulted in the field. Okay? This was not a good thing. People were breaking the law by doing this. And despite the risks, Ruth, a vulnerable young woman, she said, listen, I love Naomi. I have cleaved my family to her family. I've chosen to follow her gods. I'm going to choose to love my family by putting myself at risk and going out into the first field I can find and start gleaning. I need to provide. We need food. And so while she was working, gleaning in a field, an owner, a wealthy man named Boaz, came to inspect how things were going in his field. He's a good businessman, right? He's got a field. It's the end of famine time. He wants to figure out, are things going well for me in my harvest? And as he was talking to the field manager after their greetings, he was talking about the day-to-day -day operations. How many bushels did we get in last week? Do we have enough workers to do this? That kind of business talk. He happened to, as he was talking, notice this girl in the field that he'd never seen before. And so he asks his manager, hey, that girl over there, who is she? I don't, I don't recognize her face. What is she doing in my field? 
So Boaz listens to the manager explain how this woman came seeking to glean, to provide for her mother-in-law and herself, and had been working really hard ever since she came to ask. She'd been working hard all morning and had only taken the tiniest of breaks. So Boaz listens to this, and then scripture tells us that he moves to speak with Ruth. So he approaches her in the field and has a conversation with her. But we need to read in between the lines for a moment because there was something that happened in the conversation um, with Boaz and his manager as they were telling the story. First, in this conversation, Ruth sought permission to glean in this field. We glean that from the scriptures. She asked the field manager for permission to glean, and then she worked super hard all day long. She was a... um, one hard-working woman, okay? Um, scripture will tell us that she was a faithful woman and a hard-working woman. And Boaz saw that when the manager started to describe things to her. Listen, she asked permission. She didn't just break in here. And when I gave her permission, she hasn't ceased working. She's, she's working really hard, Boaz, is what the manager said. We also learned that Boaz's operation was one that made provision for gleaners. He was not the hard-hearted field manager who said, I'm just coming off um, a famine and I need to stock up for myself. He said, listen, I'm just coming off a famine. I should leave the gleanings for the people who are just coming off a famine and don't have a field to provide for themselves. This tells us a bit about Boaz. He was faithful and generous and a God-fearing man who followed the law. We also kind of get the idea that Ruth's family history, like she's a pagan, she's a Moabite, Uh, She's a relative of Naomi. It wasn't really a new story around town. When Boaz said, hey, who's that girl? It says the manager had no problem giving the history of Naomi and Ruth to Boaz. Oh, yeah, hey, you heard about that family that came back from Moab after, what, 10, 12 years? You know how all the bad things that happened to them? That's that girl. She's the one that came back with Naomi. And so there's no doubt that the manager was able to recount the story for Boaz, and now Boaz was able to put two and two together. He'd heard the story, but now he knew the face that went with the story. He could finally connect the two together. It was probably the first time he saw her, and so it was not the first time he heard about her. And now he goes, oh, that's who they're talking about. That's who I hear him talking about on the threshing floor. That's who I hear him talking about at the market. That's the one whose mother-in-law now wants to be called bitterness instead of uh, faithfulness or whatever. I can't even remember. Pleasantness. Um, And so now he puts two and two together. And so Boaz, moved by this story, goes to Ruth in the field. And he says, hey, uh, Ruth, hi. um, I'm the field owner. My name's Boaz. I just want you to know I'm really glad you're gleaning here, okay? I, I talked to my manager. He said, hey, you asked permission. I'm really glad that you are here gleaning for you and your mother-in-law. You have my permission to glean here. I want you, though, while you're here, to stay close to my hired women, okay? The people that I'm paying, these women over here, stick close to them. I want you to be associated by proxy with my employees because I don't want anyone to hurt you. And if you're a lone woman, you might get hurt because there's some not nice people around here. So I'm glad you're gleaning. Stay close to my employed women so that you're safe. But you also need to know that I've expressly forbid anyone from touching you 
while you're here. Because you're not one of my hired women, I don't want anyone to think they can get away with anything. So while I'm glad you're here and you're gleaning, and I'm glad that you're going to be with my women, I've gone the extra step just to make sure that no one thinks about touching you. Because if they do, they're going to mess with me because the command comes from me. I just want you to know that you can glean safely in a protected field and take all that you need for your mother-in-law. But also, Ruth, um, I hear that you're a really hard worker, that you've not really stopped since morning. I just want to make sure you take care of yourself while you're gleaning in my field. Uh, you need to stop and drink water. It's a hard harvest, and it's hard work. So when you're thirsty, will you take a break and go and drink from the water that we've already pulled for our workers? You don't have to pull your own water. Just, just go and drink the water I've already pulled for my people. I need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself while you're here. And Ruth, the recipient of this simple act of love, it was permission. That's all it was. The field owner gave her permission to be safe and glean. It says that she fell down at his feet and wept. Have you guys ever been in a position like that before? Where things were just so bad, I mean like in such a bad state for your life, and then someone did this random act of kindness for you, and it might have been seemingly insignificant, but it, it just it overwhelmed your emotion center because you just didn't expect anything good to happen at that point in your life. This is where Naomi was, or, or where, where Ruth was. And so she fell down on her knees and she wept. See, no doubt life was stressful. No doubt that um, she was having to do hard things because they needed to be done. And maybe he was the first person who knew her story, knew her reality, knew the tough things that were going on, the good and the bad parts, and didn't speak rudely to her. Maybe this was the first person since she got back to Bethlehem who didn't talk bad about her behind her back. Maybe this is the first person who actually greeted her by name. I mean, there are lots of ways culture can be rude to an outcast. She'd probably experienced the majority of it. And here was someone that said, not only am I going to call you by name, but I've offered a way for you to provide for your family in safety and for you to take care of yourself while you're here. He chose to speak with love and act with love towards her. And he said the reason he chose to, to love her in this way was because he saw how she had chosen to love Yahweh and Naomi. Choosing the hard road, leaving her nation, her childhood gods behind her, and instead taking refuge in God and his field. And so she gleaned all that day. And then about lunchtime, Boaz comes back to her and says, hey, you're hardworking lady. Come eat lunch with us. I know that you come from a home that doesn't have food. And I don't want you to go hungry. So come and eat at my table with me and my workers. And so she sat down at the table with them. And he passed her the barley and she ate till she was full. And then it said she had leftovers and Boaz gave them to her. So she filled her pockets with leftover lunch grain. And she was the first one out back in the fields working. That's how hard she was working to provide for Naomi because she covenanted with Naomi to be with Naomi and to serve Naomi and to love Naomi. And so she runs back out into the field after a very quick lunch break. And Boaz has got this moment with his workers before he sends them back out. So he has a little management meeting with his employees. Obviously, he's going to reiterate, hey, um, she's allowed to glean. You are to protect her. She can drink from the water. She reminds them of all of that. Then he goes one step further. He says, listen, guys, huddle up. There's something that I want you to do for this girl that just had lunch with us. 
I know you only know her story from the rumors around town, but we're going to do something incredibly significant. I'm going to go above and beyond for this girl who's not done anything to deserve it. I know what the law says. I know that she can glean the things that have fallen off the vine, the stuff that you drop by accident, but let's do something super amazing today for this girl. Let's, let's bless this girl and Naomi. Let's allow her to glean from the sheaves. The stuff that you have already harvested, the piles that you have already gathered, the hard work that has already been done, I want you to let her go pick the best off that and take that home with her. Secondly, when you're reaping stuff off the vine and you're walking down the rows, I want you to intentionally take some of your bundle and throw it on the ground behind you. And don't look back, just keep going. And when she picks it up, don't turn around and give her a snide comment. Don't make any comments to her. Don't whisper among yourselves. Just take a chunk, drop it, and walk on. And allow her to have the best of your hard work. Don't make fun of her. Don't make disparaging remarks or rebuke her. Don't make a big deal about it. Drop it and move on, knowing that what you are dropping will be gleaned by a hardworking woman who wants to serve our God and bless her mother-in-law. So will you do that for me today, guys? And they're like, okay. And so they go out in the field and they do that. Now when all was said and done at the end of the day, Ruth left for home and showed Naomi what she'd gathered that day. What was left over from lunch, she pulled out of her pocket. She's like, I just had the best lunch today. Here, have it for dinner, Naomi. And she gave Naomi the leftovers. But then she pulled out the barley that she had harvested. And I'm assuming she didn't pull that out of her pockets. She had to have Naomi come outside to show her because she returned with 25 pounds of grain. Um, that's a lot of grain. Um, for one person's gleaning. So let's, let's think about this for a moment. The hope for gleaners, the poor, homeless, hungry people, is that you would get just enough for your daily bread that day. Just enough for you to beat and make some bread at the end of the day. Give us this day our daily bread, okay? But here, Ruth comes back with 25 pounds of grain. This is enough for her storehouse for an extended period of time. And this is why Naomi was moved. And she said, where, what organ did you sell to get 25 pounds of grain? Whose field were you in? Who did you rip off? I mean, I'm wondering if Naomi is thinking, did she go back to her pagan ways? I mean, is she dishonoring my God? Is she stealing from people? What? All the questions that are rolling around in her head, she's wondering. So then she finally gets around to, who blessed you? Which man, which field owner took notice of you, my daughter? And then Ruth said, well, I went, I went for a walk, and I found this field, and I worked in it. And the man of the field, his name was Boaz, he came up to me, and he demonstrated kindness to me, even though I'm a stranger. And it was really weird, Naomi. I've never experienced anything like this in my entire life. And then, then Ruth recounted the blessing that Boaz gave. Did you guys catch this? Boaz gave Ruth a blessing. So imagine a benediction at the end of a sermon with hands raised. That's the kind of language here. And it says, Ruth, I pray that God would bless you and reward your hard work and that your wages would be full because you've sought refuge under God's wings. So imagine you're poor, hungry, widowed young woman and you're in a field doing your best work 
and a stranger man comes up to you and says, I'm the owner of the field, and I want you to have the best of what I have today. But um, while I'm here, I want to bless you in the name of my God, that your pockets would never be empty, and that you would find refuge in him forever and for always. There is some significant language there, and we will come back to that come about Christmas time. Now, when Ruth had told Naomi all of this, Naomi was overjoyed because she was reading between the lines of this conversation that Boaz had had with Ruth. Like how we read between the lines of the conversation that Boaz had had with his manager, and we learned some things about his character and Ruth's character and how he ran his field. Now, Ruth um, told this story, and Naomi is reading between the lines because she knew that this man, Boaz, that Ruth didn't know from anyone else, actually happened to be a distant relative of Elimelech. And she proclaimed to Ruth, this man is a possible redeemer. This man could change our life, and he already has today. A possible benefactor and protector for our family. Meaning this, according to Jewish law, in a time of trouble, uh, a woman could sell the land, or a man could sell the land that they had, the land that they lived on, the land that they had received as a promise from God. They could sell it, okay, um, but the law stipulated that it needed to be sold to someone in your family. So you had to sell it to someone in your family. Now, um, this way, the land stayed in your overall family, okay? And at, um, you would get money for selling your land. So your family would keep the land overall. And then in the year of Jubilee, your land would be returned to you because it was God's promise to you. So it was a way of securing the fact that you didn't lose your blessing from God, your inherited promised land from God. It was kept safe with another family member who worked it and tilled it and kept the proceeds from it. But you, in the meantime, could get yourself out of debt or could have money to get those medical expenses taken care of or whatever it was. And then in the year of Jubilee, you'd get your land back. So that's why it was called a redeemer. They would redeem the land from the situation that you had, and then you would get it back in fullness at the end. The kinsman redeemer would buy the land, and then in the year of Jubilee, it was given back. And it was a good system because it was one that offered a great deal of hope from, for redemption from life's difficulties now. Okay? So that meant that even though things are tough now, I know that my promise is not gone and it will come back to me one day. That was the idea of the kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi said, man, Ruth, you got no idea what just happened today. You have no idea what God is working out. This is some amazing news, Ruth. Boaz is one of the redeemers of our family, and he's a good man, and you can feel safe with him. So she urged Ruth to keep going back to his field day in and day out and glean and work hard. But she did say this, listen, um, you've mourned long enough, okay? Put on a different color. Don't wear black anymore. When you go into the field, um, why don't you make yourself look available for our Redeemer? This wasn't an awkward kind of conversation. She wasn't doing anything inappropriate. She was just saying, you've left everything behind. Now let's start to look forward to what the redemption could be. So let's keep an open mind and an open heart, Ruth. Get out of your black sackcloth and start working hard in a blue dress, for lack of a better term, okay? And so for the rest of the barley harvest and the entire wheat harvest, Ruth Daly went in and out of Boaz's field, gleaning in safety, choosing to love Naomi by doing the hard work. So love took Ruth from her homeland to a new land, from her old family to a new family. 
Love took Ruth to a field to do physically hard labor because she chose to act out of love for God and her mother-in-law. And when she did that, her act of choice of love caused her to intersect with the loving, compassionate action of Boaz, who simply provided a blessing of food for that family. Each one of them had a choice, though, a choice to love in action, in form of action, or to keep moving, to see a situation but keep moving. Ruth and Boaz each demonstrated a preference for the well-being of someone else over and above themselves, even at great personal expense, and they did it in the name of God. We saw that with Ruth's covenantal language when she cleaved to Naomi and with Boaz when he lifted his hands over her in the field and said, I bless you in the name of my God. I love God. God has been good to me. I can be good to you. I choose to do it that way. That's what we've seen today. But I want to go back for a moment to the video that we watched earlier so that we can see the full story as it plays out in a real-world setting. Pretty cool, huh? Um, you hear stories about this semi-regularly, especially about the holiday season. Um, the reason I showed it is I thought it was a great intersection of what we're talking about and a real-world application of choosing to go above and beyond in the name of love. The reality is um, this is kind of one of those rare circumstances. You know, you can't give every pizza delivery guy a 700 tip. Um, 
I learned early on in ministry, do for one what you can't do for all. You can't, you can't fix every problem. But if you see a need and you can do something about it, you should do something about it. Choose to act in love. And the reality is, in our lives, every single one of us has a moment where we are going to intersect with someone and have a choice to do something in love or to not do something in love. And God would call us to do something in love. Every single day, there are opportunities to let love take you somewhere that you never thought you would go, to do something that you never thought you could do because God says, I've blessed you, so now I want you to do something for someone else. You might not know them. You might not know their story. But you need to let love compel you to do something you wouldn't ordinarily do for the sake of someone else. 2 Corinthians um, reads this way, and I'm reading from the message. I don't always uh, read from the message, but I think, I think they nailed it in terms of the feel here. See, this keeps us vigilant. You can be sure about it. It's no light thing that one day we'll all get to stand in a place of judgment, but that's why we work so urgently with everyone we meet to face God. God alone knows how well we'll do this, but I really hope you realize how much and how deeply we care. We're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. We just thought it would make you feel good or even happy to know that we're on your side. We're not just nice to your face like a lot of people are, but we care. And if I acted a little bit crazy, I did it for the glory of God. And if I acted a little too serious getting into your personal life, I did it because I care about you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything I do. Is that something you guys want to take hold of? I've been the recipient of this kind of love before, and I've experienced the fall to your knees kind of weeping. That's a good feeling to know that you are taken care of. I want to be able to give that feeling. And it's not always monetary. It doesn't have to be money. It might be food. It might be a ride. It might be babysitting someone's kids so that a couple can get a much-needed night alone. There are so many ways to intentionally choose to act in love towards someone. So I want to ask you a question. It's not enough that we hear it. We actually have to not feel the love, but act on the love. I want to give you 20 seconds to close your eyes and talk with God and ask him one question. What is it that you want me to do this week, God? Where is that act of love that I can serve? Help me find it out when I meet it, or what is it that you know now that you can tell me? So let's just take a moment, and we'll all talk to God and ask him that question. Maybe it's a face that pops into your mind. Like, oh, there's that person that I always see who needs a demonstration of love this week. Might be a face. It might be, man, I've just been given a little extra so I can go above and beyond somewhere. 25 pounds of food to a family I know that needs it. Where can you choose to prefer the needs of someone else's this week for no gain of your own, but simply to raise your hands over them and say, God loves you and wants to bless you in this way. It might not be easy to do it. It might cost you to do it. It might be awkward to do it if you've never gone this far 
in terms of choosing intentionally to demonstrate love towards someone. But don't let those things stop you from doing what God has called us to do and loving people, moving from feeling to action. The question, does love have the first and last word in your life this week? We're full of opportunities to identify that act of love. Let's pray and ask that God would give us a, an open mind and open eyes and open willingness this week to act in love. Lord, your word tells us that uh, your love is so great and so immense. And if we're not reading from the message translation, it says that the love of Christ compels us. Lord, we've been given much. And sometimes we don't think that we have much. And sometimes we're in our own need as well. And we think even out of our own need, how can we choose to love? And we don't have anything. We have the greatest thing to give. It's not financial. It's not tangible. But it is very real. And it is the hope that God can offer a redemption for people. Like Naomi who said, this is a possible redeemer. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out just yet. We've not been redeemed. Our life is still in struggle. We're still working hard. My daughter-in-law is still at risk as she goes to and from the field every day. But I trust that there might be a redemption on the other side. Those of us that live on the other side of redemption know that we have something great to offer those who just need a little pick-me-up. Lord, this week, would you open our hearts and our minds Maybe our pocketbooks, maybe our food pantries, maybe our time. Would you open all of that and make it available so that when we see a need and you make that light bulb go off in our head and our heart just wrench for what we see in front of us, would you cause us to move from feeling to action? Would you remove any hindrance in our way so that we can step forward in obedience and bless someone just because you want to bless them and we happen to be the conduit of that. May we give you all the glory and praise as we do that, so that by all means we might see some folks come to know what it is to be redeemed in this Christmas season. We pray this in your name. Amen.